Kaylee, I've told you this before, but this is my fourth or fifth or sixth time of rewatching this series. I love this series. I've watched it a bunch of times. This time that I watched it for this recording was the first time that I understood the Bianca's Toast joke. Wait, of ever? Of ever. I thought it was like, she's dead. No big deal. Spoiler alert, Bianca does die. But I never understood that it was Bianca's toast because she was killed by a toaster. Oh, no. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, like five or six times watching it. And the first time, I, there were actually a ton of things in this episode that I had never realized before this watching. And I'm like really proud of this podcast because I think... Because I'm watching it with a more critical eye, I'm picking up on a lot more things. So, yeah, but we'll get to more of those later. And you're just going to be like, girl, no. I watched this the first time either Thursday or Friday of last week. And then I watched it the second time last night. So I started early and then I went back in late. And I feel like I have more notes than possibly ever. But again, it is the season finale. And I love that it kind of sets the tone for our season finales going forward. Yeah, They're always it really does. Not Halloween themed, but definitely like a scary movie, sort of a vibe. But I will say, especially with this one, they do a really good job of like riding the line with that tone and keeping it fun and keeping it light enough. Mm-hmm. And James Rode Rodriguez directed this one and he had some real dark ideas that did not make it all the way through <laughs> because that tone had to be kept, you know? Yeah. So. I told my husband that I wanted him to watch this episode with me. I was like, I think you'll enjoy this one. In fact, I think you'll probably like all of the episodes that Rodet directs. And he was like, why? And I was just like, you can tell when Rodet directs them because there's a different feeling to them. Not in a bad way. No. But just different. Yeah, he's got his own directorial tone. But yeah, I'm really excited. Should we get into it? We should. Showtime. This is to the blueberry. Did I even say words? I don't know. I don't know. It worked out. <laughs> I am Alexis, and I am a real life Gus. I'm Kaylee, and I'm a real life Sean. And we are a real life best friend duo who loves the show Psych, and decided that we were going to start a podcast. So we had a good reason to talk to one another once a week, and it's been really great. Hey, babe. Yeah. This is a season one closer. Season one, episode 15, it's called Scary Sherry, Bianca's Toast. As in what I referred to earlier, because I'm dumb. Nah. I mean, she is toast on multiple levels. (laughs) I miss context clues sometimes. We start our episode with a classic flashback to Halloween night, 1987. Which I'm like, "Mm, that's a bit late, isn't it? Yeah, we went from Little Sean number three being in 1985 to Little Sean number three in 1987, and he didn't change appearance. No, and we do get, I mean, there are some references to his age in 87 throughout this episode, so I kind of want to put a pin in that, at least for myself, and just be like, does this hold up? Does the continuity hold through the series? And so we'll see. But yes, we're Halloween night. Sean is dressed as a cop. Of course he is. And he doesn't seem mad about that. But he tells Henry that this is torture because Henry's making them go to the precinct and get their candy x-rayed before they're allowed to eat it. Because he's believing in the myths that went around in the 80s about razor blades being hidden in all the kids' candy. You know, like last year when everybody thought that adult humans were wasting their money on edibles, giving them to children. (laughs) Yes, that's definitely something that would happen like on a, purpose. Like an adult's going to do that. That's, that's no it's a waste of money. No one saw my eyes guys. roll. It's a yeah. waste of money. We're not doing that for children. Gus was dressed as Lando. Yes. Calrissian. Calrissian. Thank you. Which is apparently a Star Wars character. Oh yeah. I had to Google that, but now that I've googled it, I know who Lando is. So He's I feel the okay. coolest. Yes. Like, somehow cooler than Han Solo. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
we are driving to the precinct and Henry gets stopped by some random dude. A man throws himself on the cruiser. Very Halloween, Jamie Lee Curtis film from the okay. 80s. Uh, like, he's from the hospital nearby, and all the phone lines are down, and they're trying to call, but they've got a jumper that Henry needs to help them. I want to point out that Henry is in his police car, in his police uniform. It's not like he looks like he's off duty. Right, right, right. But he's yeah, got kids okay. in the car. He's hesitant to help. He's like, I'm on my way to the precinct. I've got kids in the car. Call the police, like get someone on duty here or whatever. Sean goes, Dad, we have to help. And they can see from where they are that there's a woman in a window at this facility. And like tension shoots through the roof. My heart's racing. I'm in it. Let's go, Henry. (laughs) And they pull up and we see very clearly the sign. Can we talk about the name of this facility real quick? Wispy Sunny Pines. Shouldn't it be at just one of those words, like wispy pines or sunny pines, pines. but wispy sunny pines mental health facility is the name Mm -hmm. of this place. It's excessive. It feels comedic, even though there's not a comedic moment right here. Like, Yeah. I wonder if there was a reason why that name was chosen. I'll have to re-listen to the psychologist or in and see if they... (laughs) Good idea. Henry goes to help the young woman in the window. He tells... Sean and Gus to close their eyes, don't look, don't listen, do not open your eyes. I'm going to go take care of this. And so the boys squeeze their eyes shut. But Sean being, Sean, opens his eyes. But he also says, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And little (laughs) Gus, who feels like Gus at this point, goes, not even remotely. Little Gus kind of sees that Sean has his eyes open and throws his hands over little Sean's eyes and hides his eyes. Right as they see this woman let go of the windowsill and start to like go forward out the window. And then Sean gets his eyes covered again. And they're like haunted by what they know must have happened. Because that young woman was no longer in the window. Yeah, when they open back up, there's no one in the window. Then we get the flash forward. Exactly 20 years later. Give or take 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So we're led to believe, again, this is Halloween, but there's very little to tell us that Halloween has just passed throughout this episode. We get a sobbing girl running through wispy sunny pines. We're at this hospital again. And a very creepy voice is going, Dory! All through the house. It's a good creepy voice because when I first heard it, I thought she said, Darlene? she's running through and she is scared to death of what's going on she hears the voice she ends up in room 413 which which is the the room that the young lady whose name is sherry Sherry, who we refer to as scary sherry that was the room that sherry had jumped out of a person in like this creepy you know old hospital gown wig comes up, runs, maybe not a wig, you know, dark hair, runs up behind her and she is way too scared, ends up bumping against the old window of Wispy Sunny Pines and falls out. And we don't see who was dressed in that. We just see them lean out the window to see what happened to her. Right. And that is... Credits, baby. I'm not a scary person. I think Kaylee and I talked about this like after one of our recordings earlier. Kay was like... Are you going to be okay watching this episode? And I was like, yeah, I've seen it before. Like, it's okay. It's got enough humor in it that I can handle it. But this is pretty much it for me. Like, this is where the bar stops. Anything worse than this? And I'm like, nah, I'm good. Enjoy. Kaylee can do the podcast on her own. So then we're opening on the psych office. And they're walking in wearing some sort of sporting equipment clothing. And Gus is like, Sean, you cheated. My guess is racquetball or squash because... I think it was racquetball, yeah. Sean, they have the glasses and the rackets and Sean's like, you don't even use the walls and blah, blah, blah. That's not cheating. Gus is talking about how he should have won because the warm burner was in full effect, which is his secret move, I guess, in racquetball. And Sean said, no, you, can't you cannot have the move. <laughs> because that's my strikeout pitch in wiffle ball. That's what he named it. Yeah, yeah. My only thought was, what are two grown A men doing playing wiffle ball? Wiffle ball's a lot of fun, though. (laughs) (laughs) I know adults who play kickball. Like, you got to stick with the fun things. Yeah. Yeah. There is a very preppy looking woman. 
chilling I was gonna in say, the office. They stop cold because, ooh, a blonde. Juliet is that blonde and she turns around. And Gus legit goes, damn girl. Oh, I love that part. Juliet introduces herself as Mary Lou Baumgartner. She's like, I know, I barely recognize myself, but it's great though, right? <laughs> she is undercover with the Beta Kappa Theta sorority. She is a national alumni vice parliamentarian. You can tell that Juliet is enjoying this undercover job way too much. She has only been undercover for one week and she's already like too far deep in it. Like she's very Donnie Brasco right now. She's like, where do I begin? Where does Mary Lou? And like, but she's undercover because Doreen, the girl who died, was pledging the sorority and she's there to help her sisters in their time of need. I was confused because she's undercover as an alum. So she's not in college. So why isn't it more weird that she's there? Mm-hmm. Not that I super know how sororities and fraternities work, but mm. the guys say, wait, wasn't that an alleged suicide? And she's like, yeah, allegedly. So officially, unofficially, you're not on this case, but here's where I am. You know, there are just still some boxes to check, essentially. And also, these girls are demons. So if this wasn't a suicide, they could have a long suspect list. Juliet hints at the fact that they think this might be a copycat 1144 because of the story of Scary Sherry. And 20 year anniversary. As soon as she brings that up, Gus said, yeah, we know that one. <laughs> and then their boys are just silent. And then Juliet walks over and she starts to get out of her information to help share it. And it is a pink hearted full on trapper keeper. Oh yeah, like a three inch zip up binder. Oh yes. You can see the boys just like looking at it like, what? But she says, you guys come by at seven. These girls know more than they're saying at the very least. So we're going to dig. She wants them to keep it undercover. And Sean's like, all right, Gus, what's the word? And Gus goes, um, that would be mom. And all I could think of was high school. And I was like, word up. (laughs) I said word up too. (laughs) I know. That's what you always quizzed us on. Yeah. There's some other options for the word. There's word up, which is the correct answer. You could argue that bird is the word. Bird. <laughs> but then obviously mom is the word. But Doreen was a pledge. And mm-hmm. it's kind of important to realize that she was a pledge because some other stuff happens later. Also maybe hazing gone wrong. Like you never know with these things. The sorority girls think that the building that they are living in is being haunted by Doreen's lumbering ghost. Mm. And then we get this question of... Juliet, where is Lassiter during all of this? Reassigned. Perfect segue. (laughs) Lassiter walks in. He walks into the conference room and he confronts the person there about getting the hell out because he's there to meet his new rookie. His new rookie is in fact this woman who is older than Lassiter. Her name is Goochberg. She says Gooch to those I respect and those few lucky enough to have seen me naked. Guess which one you should use. (laughs) He goes, oh God, the first one? (laughs) She just passed her test on Friday after suing the SBPD to give her the opportunity to take the test again. She's failed it a few times now. Or 13. (laughs) And she calls Lassiter Scarecrow. The word quit is not in my vocabulary is something that you'll learn about her apparently. And instantly she's like, Where do you go to shoot guns around here? So we're not vibing, but we're getting a vibe. And it kind of makes sense because Lassie loves shooting guns. Okay, we'll keep going. We're at the sorority house and Sean is playing psychic. Beta Kappa Theta. He starts making all of these like basic B guesses about the women who are living in the sorority house. Everything from like using dad's gold card Well, but he did see a valet ticket from the mall. So he knew that she got valet, which bougie, at the mall. At the mall. (laughs) And if she's like, okay, it's not like she's got her own money. Of course, she's got daddy's gold Amex. The young woman's name that he is making all these guesses about is Bianca, who happens to be toast. Mm -hmm. And the first thing she is telling him about these kind of like weird things that are happening was that she was laying in bed watching her favorite show, One Tree Hill. Ted Michael Murray, oh my God. (laughs) There's another pop culture reference for you. She has a clock 
and it's a cat. Liquid kitty alarm clock, so cute. It blinks every 30 minutes, but all of a sudden it started blinking like crazy and it wouldn't stop blinking. But then it finally did. And then it let out this like half meow and then its tail fell off and then it exploded. They all start talking at once to describe other weird things, but Juliet says basically lots of weird, super creepy kind of haunted stuff is going on. And Sean says, I need to go upstairs to see what I feel. <laughs> to see what I feel. At one point, Juliet said, um, Mr. Uh, Spencer, is it? And then Sean cannot remember Juliet's fake name. And I wrote it down. What he guessed was Mrs. Barn. Door? Take? Bill? Matt? Snatcher? Bick? Gert? Sten? Per? Plankton? And then finally Juliet mouths Baumgartner and he goes, oh, Miss Baumgartner, yes. Mm. He told Juliet that he needed an undergarment from her. And she said, don't you usually get that from the victim? And he said... I've seen it both ways. Okay, I remember him seeing the phrase, I've seen it both ways, but I didn't take notes about why he said it. Is it right here? He asked for Juliet's underpants, and she said no, but he was trying to get them, so he ended up saying, I've seen it both ways, which is not a, I've heard it both ways, yet. but it's pretty close. I'm going to call this our first one, our first yeah. unofficial one. I don't remember how it starts, though. She says something, and she's like, go on, ask him. And Gus is like, ask me what? You can ask me anything. I'm an open book, ladies. And like, weren't you like Bud from the Cosby show? <laughs> and he's just like, what? And I'm like, oh my god, you were. You were totally Bud. And so everybody starts calling him Bud. He super wasn't Bud. It feels racist, but they're hot and giving him attention. Yeah. Much later on in the season. Series. The, dang flabbit. <laughs> Much later on in the series, they do end up bringing on the guy who played Bud on the Cosby show. Yes, we get this often with this show as it earns clout. They mention real live famous people and later have those real live famous people on the show. Yes. It's amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The lights go out Snatch. and we hear... Get out! And then the lights come on. And then they go off. And then the voice goes, Akanabe. Akanabe? Akanab? Akanab? I don't know. That sounds Then the lights go, You say it. Akanab! And then the lights come on. And then they go off again. A vase falls. A lamp falls. And then there's a face in the window. Everybody screams, spills their tea. Lights come back on. And uh, Sean and Gus are missing. Yeah, Jules really obviously looks around. They're not there. Cut to the exterior. <laughs> Where they are running away, screaming like little girls. I love that bit. I'm upset that it doesn't come up more often. It would be too much all the time. Yeah. Like. It's on point. I enjoy it. Chef's kiss. I laugh at it every time. I have created shorthand for it, which is RSLL girls. <laughs> screaming like little girls. Juliet calls out to stop them. And Sean tries to start being cool. He's like, I, I need to confer with my partner about what has just happened. And then Gus drives away without him. <laughs> so Sean goes back in with Juliet. And he finds the equipment that was used to pull off this stunt. Juliet says, they have suspects galore. This sorority sucks. These girls are hated. She's like, but the victim's roommate, Alice Bundy, is kind of up there on my list. And he's like, I thought they lived at home. What do you mean roommate? She lived with Dorian's family, apparently. Juliet felt like she had a score to settle. I don't really know what that means. And we don't really get into that, which is kind of interesting. Cut to... Lassie and Gooch at the shooting range. Lassie's doing his very controlled shooting. Goochberg is just poof, 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 blowing him off. It life is good. Laster says, I don't know, maybe if you wore the proper gear, the eyewear, the ear covering. She's like, wouldn't do no good. I'm deaf in my right ear. Something about a Teamster fight. She had a waffle iron. So she's like, 
saying the problem is she doesn't have enough firepower. It's the pea shooter. It's this pea shooter they issued me. We don't see her mark, but it doesn't sound like she hit the target, which is not a great sign, but she takes Lassie's handgun off of him. Lassiter is certain that it's not going to do good. She's not braced appropriately. She's not ready to handle that much firepower. She shoots it. It launches out of her hand. It breaks on the floor. And we cut to Lassie's face where he's just like, I told you. He's. You just broke my gun. So upset about his gun breaking. Like he's a little bit broken. And then we're back at the university. We're handing out flyers for makeovers. And all the proceeds go to help save the endangered tamarind monkeys. Betty who is one of kind of the lead sorority girls. Who's been in everything. Well, so Kaylee did some research and Betty is a pretty well-known character actor who has been in, what were they all? Okay, so she plays Monique in She's the Man with Amanda Bynes, which is an adaptation of a Shakespeare that you and I both love. Love She's also been in True Blood, Medium. She's the lead in Virgin River on Netflix right now. She's also made appearances in American Horror Story, The Walking Dead, This Is Us, Law and Order, one of the CSIs, of which there are too many, and the list goes on and on. So she done been working, like... She's in everything. I love her. Good for you, girl. (laughs) Betty looks at Bianca and said, are you like pregnant or something? Because Bianca's been doing poorly. You can tell she hasn't handed out her makeover flyers. She doesn't look like she's feeling well. And Bianca finally is just like, listen, I haven't slept. I feel like I'm losing my mind. I don't know what I'm going to do. And Betty just said, suck it up. I'm not going down with you. Bianca kind of starts to cry and runs away. Again, something I never caught until this time of watching. We will come back to this a little bit later. Just put a little pin in this right here, right? This moment where Bianca is very overwhelmed with everything. Pin. We'll come back to it. You're confused, Kaylee, because you probably inherently knew what was going on. You weren't so slow to the uptake like me. And when I tell you, you're going to be like, girl. Juliet runs into Alice the friend slash roommate of Doreen. And Jules is like, um, let it, I'm so sorry. Let us know if there's anything I or the sorority can do. And Jules is very um, nice and trying to be sincere. But Alice is just giving her I hate you and calling her the queen of the damned. And it's a, it's a lot. She ended the conversation with, Stay away from me. Fair warning. And then Alice just walks away. And then Betty walks up and goes, ew, hair. I'm sorry. At least it wasn't Sean making fun of her hair. She had fine hair. I don't know what Betty's talking about, but whatever. You know, that's right. Back to Lassie and Gooch. Yes. They are headed into Lassie's patrol car. And did you notice that Lassiter got the door for her? Yeah, that makes sense because they're both on the same side. But she goes for the back seat and he's like, excuse you. I'm not taking a straight bullet for you, Scarecrow. Plus, she's like, and even if I wanted to, my eyes can't handle that much direct sunlight. And she's like, my rods and my cones are all out of whack. There was a whole incident with a crowbar at a sangria party gone wrong. Anyways, long story short, I've got retinitis pigmentosa early onset. She has such good lines in this episode. I love the way that they're playing that character. And I love the lines that she's saying. I didn't really write them down because I was too busy laughing through all She of always has these horrific accidents that she blames her ailments on, though. But, okay, so she's deaf in one ear because of a waffle iron. She says that her rods and cones are all out of whack and so they've got a crowbar. But retinitis pigmentosa is a rare inherited genetic degenerative eye disease. It's not something that getting whacked in the eye socket with a crowbar is going to do anything about. So maybe that damaged her cornea or something. But if she's got this disease, it's genetic. We get a nighttime shot of the exterior of the psych office. And there is a green I said green window? Green window? Question mark, question mark. (sighs) <sighs> yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Sean and Gus are inside, and Sean immediately begins to make fun of Gus, referring to him as the exorcist of the year. <laughs> He's like, hey, we both scream, Sean. You were right there on my heels. I was screaming, Gus, stop. Let's be brave. <laughs> and Sean is certain that this was not an 1144. He was looking at some of the pictures and noticed that the latch was broken on the window that Doreen had fallen from, and that Doreen had fallen backward, not forward. 
he's like, this is not like Scary Sherry. Scary Sherry took a swan dive. She fell out backwards. They start talking about what the voice said, Akinob, Akinob. And Gus says that he's been looking into all kinds of languages, dead languages, anything he can get his hands on, really. And he's working his way through alphabetically, it sounds like. <laughs> and then Sean just starts writing it on their little numbers styled whiteboard thing. Mm-hmm. And he sees in a reflection, Akinob, in certain spellings, could spell Bianca backwards. Very the shining red rum of it all. Oh, right. So reference. Sorry. Again, another movie I've never watched, no, but I not. do know <laughs> that red rum spells murder. So I got that. Do you notice that Sean asks Gus for Juliet's number? Yeah, I did notice that. It didn't hit right, but I didn't write it down. I was like... So that's where I was at. I was confused why of the two of them, if Sean has these super not-so-secret feelings for Juliet, why Gus would be the one to have her number? Also, later on in the episode, he calls Lassie directly. So why does he have Lassie's number and not Juliet? I'm just asking. I think it's because the very next line creates a way for he and Gus to have a conversation where Gus wants to know what Sean is thinking and Sean will not tell him. And Gus is like, why do you always make me ask for the theory? Why do you never just tell me? So they get on the horn with Juliet, finally. They're like, Juliet, where are you? Where's Bianca? We think she's in danger. And she's like, she's at the house where I should be because we're all running late for the mixer. And she just starts spewing all this sorority nonsense. She's like locking and loading her gun at the same time. It's very incongruous (laughs) and funny. And Sean is just like, Jules, Bianca's in danger. Get serious here. We are now in Beta Kappa Theta house and... Bianca is taking a bath and crying. Betty is like trying to get her to get out of the bath and come to the mixer because that's where she's supposed to be. We're supposed to start the slow cap. We're going to be late for Mary Lou's speech. (laughs) Outside, we see like disembodied hands, gloved hands plugging in an extension cord. And then we're in the bathroom with Bianca and all this is going on. And the window above her starts to slowly open. Bianca and Betty are still talking and we see a toaster being dropped into the bathtub kind of slowly. Just as Juliet arrives, she hears the scream. The lights start to flicker. They break into the bathroom and you don't see anything but sad faces. Sad faces all around. Sean and Gus arrive. Juliet just walks out and shakes her head. Mm, You know, in the hole. Nope. She's gone. I just wrote dash title reference. At the SBPD, and we get ourselves some good old-fashioned Chief Vic, and she is directly questioning Betty. Jules is still being Mary Lou, and she's like, tell the Chief everything, Betty, and Betty's saying nothing. She's locked down. But Sean psychs out. He realizes that maybe it was an accident, and maybe it was never supposed to happen. And she breaks. She just spews everything. We find out that it was a hazing incident that had gone wrong. Bianca was the one who was wearing the nightgown and the wig. After everything had happened, they decided to keep it quiet, and then they put the nightgown into the tar pits. Well, when they're talking about hazing, there's a reference. Yeah, because she thought it was just a haze. Doreen thought she was going to get locked in to spend the night. It was to be Sunny Pines, just like in that movie with the guy and the hedge mate, blah, 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 blah. And then Juliet goes, hell night. And that's, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I can't believe I got one that Straight you didn't get. <laughs> no, I missed that one. Anyway. Tarpets. Chief Vic is talking about involuntary manslaughter as a potential criminal issue against Betty, and which would have been against Bianca. Okay. So, go back to that point that I put a pin in earlier. I thought the first four or six times I watched this episode that... Bianca was just upset because she thought the house was being haunted. It wasn't until this time that I realized that Bianca was upset because she essentially killed somebody right over my head until this very watching. I think they are leading us to believe that these girls are so vapid that maybe they do think that they're being haunted. Maybe guilt plays into why they think they're being haunted. But... Yeah, it, I think I think both both is right. 
So the next thing is kind of weird because we get Sean dreaming about that moment in 1987 when he saw Scary Sherry letting go and swan diving out of the window. He wakes up and he's on his laptop and we realize he's in the psych office sleeping. Gus is like, you slept here? He feels like there's something wrong, but he realized that Alice, who is really his kind of best and only suspect at this point, had an alibi for the night of Bianca's murder. It was an airtight alibi. She was actually living with Doreen's family. She had went to bed early that night. The parents did not see her leave at all until the next morning. So she was locked in bed sleeping the whole night. And they don't really know, since she has an alibi, where else to go. Gus is reminding Sean he's supposed to take a dessert and go have dinner with his father. It sounds big because Henry's reaching out and it's like this like little moment between them that they're adding in. And Sean's like, Gus, you have to come. We can even head out early. Say we're working on a case. It's like, we are working on a case. <laughs> but he says, what are you doing now? And he's like, well, I need to ultimately start and finish my route, which apparently he's been neglecting. As a pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical. We were singing two different songs there. And Sean says he is going to go find Alice. And he says that she is Sharon Stone. This is basic instinct, which makes me Michael Douglas and you're George DeZinza, whose name was Gus in basic instinct. (laughs) Also, they're like, there's no such thing as an airtight alibi. We just haven't found our ice pick yet, which is, again, staying with the basic instinct. The scene ends with Gus saying... What can you possibly ask this girl that the police haven't already asked her? And we open with, would you like to split a pineapple? (laughs) Which makes this. Our pineapple hunt. hunt. We found it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was very obvious this time around. It was a huge, giant pineapple. Right beside Sean's head, fully on display. Which they never eat. No, they do not ever eat. On camera. But she seems not opposed to the suggestion. Okay, I picked up a little bit of, like, flirty Like, are on. you a crazy person? And he said, no, my name is Ichabod Bunchman. Sticky icky to my boys. He sees the double rings that she's wearing. After she said, are you a crazy person? He said, I was going to ask you the same thing, but end it with, who likes to make toast? Oh, I see. So what are you, another cop? And he's like, nope, not a cop. And she's like, what are you then? And then he sort of predicts the future by seeing that someone has a ill-fitted bike chain. Bike and chain, he's yeah. about to go off and do some sweet jumps on the steps with his super spiky, I don't even know what kind of hair that is. It's very early aughts, terrible hair. <laughs> But he's like... Eat it or something. Yeah, eat pavement or something. And then the guy falls and she's like, how did you do that? But the second he says he's a psychic, she's like, okay, pass. Hindsight being twenty twenty, if he is psychic, why would she want anything to do with him? Yeah, no, I agree. She's egging him on and then finally she said, listen, we were closer than sisters she was seven years old when she moved into Doreen's house. Doreen's parents raised Alice and she's like, we were always together. We always looked out for each other. And the one time I wasn't there, this happens. I failed her. This is on me. I'm going through it. So I get your suspicion truly, but do you really think that I'm a murderer? Cause I've got my own stuff I'm dealing with. It felt like throughout this scene, she really wasn't answering Sean's questions. Exactly. Questions with questions, but playing on emotions. Like, do you really think I would kill that girl? She does finally end up saying, I'm not a murderer, which I'm going to put another pin in. Put the the pin in. Also, this is where she asked Sean, do you have a best friend? Can you get how I'm feeling at all? And really turns it back on him and makes him empathize with her. Mm -hmm. So I think feel like she's like a magician she's a fake magician and sean is a fake psychic she's misdirecting and he's just faking it real good (laughs) like sean kind of starts to believe her because he ends that scene with i certainly hope not for your sake i certainly hope you're not a murderer for your sake Mm -mm -mm. oh man and then we go back to lassiter we get this zany buddy comedy peppered throughout i feel like the other stuff needed it i feel like it just like it gives us these tonal shifts like we got really heavy and emotional and then we're in like a deli with lassiter and goochberg 
Goochberg is not writing anything down. Yeah, the guy's describing how someone came in while he was in the back and took all this money out of the cash register and 60 bucks worth of chuck roast or something. Laster looks over and he's like, rookie, you're not taking any notes. And she's like, which one of us has the arthritic thumb? And I'm like, when are we getting that story? I'm sure there's an injury behind it. There's something about her going from Jersey to Havana. Her... Her hitchhiking from Jersey to Havana, and that's how she got her thumb all oh, jacked yeah, yeah, up or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. But Gooch just kind of flips, and she starts to go after the teller. Because she thinks that he's the one who robbed the store. She blows up and attacks the victim. She, like, tries to vault herself over the counter, and it doesn't really work. And then she grabs him, and then she's like, give me your weapon. I know how to make this canary sing or something. And so the dude <laughs> yes. just pieces out. He runs. She starts chasing him. She's like, aren't you going to stop him? He's the victim, Goochberg. And she's like, oh, fine, I'll do it myself. And she runs after this guy. I'm exhausted, but that's hilarious. We're back at Beta Kappa Theta. Eden comes out. Eden is also a character actor that I recognize. Yeah, she's definitely been in stuff, just not the she's the man stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Aiden gives Juliet this invite to a candlelight vigil for Doreen. And it's from Doreen's parents, and they're inviting her to come to the old Wispy Sunny Pines to do this vigil for Doreen to take care of her, whatever. And then we end up with Sean and Gus and Henry having this giant dinner at Henry's house. There was so much I food. wanted to be at that dinner. I was like, what is that? What was on that plate? What is that sauce? Sean, like he said earlier, tells Henry that, hey, they're actually on a case and they need to go. And Henry asks if it's about what happened at Wispy Sunny Pines. Sean said, yeah, like this one's kind of hitting closer to home because we were actually there the first time it happened. What do you mean the first time? What happened? Did you open your eyes? I was nine. Of course I opened my eyes. Can I plead nine years old? Henry goes from mad to just hilarity and starts laughing. How much did you see? He's like, well, not the, 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 what did he call it? The the landing or. Yeah. But he's like, you know, and Gus is kind of like, cause I covered his eyes. And he's like, so you didn't actually see what happened. He's like, well, not the, not the fruition. He saw her like going out the window and then she wasn't in the window. I feel like Henry's a little bit drunk in this episode. I was, oh my god. But he's only got like one empty beer bottle and one beer bottle that he looks like he's working on. The boys each have one. And I'm like, he's like eating pie, laughing at the boys with his mouth full. His general tone is just, it's giving, I pre-gamed this dinner. A L- little bit drunk. <laughs> I kind of liked it. Very much. Henry said, you missed one small but very important detail. And then there's just kind of this pause. And he said, she never jumped. Sherry Craddock is probably married and living in Fresno. Don't believe this urban legend. And then blah, blah, blah. He walks off and then he's like, dude, I can't believe. I I thought we were going to keep it quiet. You're the one who was crawling at the lunch table. How dope is it that we started an urban legend? And this bump. (laughs) Sorry, I said all of that really fast. Did you catch any of it? I feel like I mumbled. (laughs) Henry did, in fact, save Sherry's life. She was about to let go and head out the window. And one very handsome off-duty police officer grabbed her and brought her back into the building. This urban legend of Scary Sherry was just that. And yes, that's dope that they started a urban legend. And it was just a beautiful, like, Henry wisdom moment that I quite enjoyed. Sean and Gus are at Doreen's family's house, at Alice's house. First, they've got a we're plan. in the Blueberry, heading to Alice's house. And I was just very like, yeah, Blueberry segue, because it's not a walk and talk, it's a ride and talk. So Sean says, we're going to get there. And who, whom, who, whom, whom? person the person that answers the door you distract them gus and i'm gonna snoop around and gus is like how am i gonna distract them so we get a knock on the door and then gus is all have you seen mrs pickles (laughs) which is a perfect bookend for this episode 
slash for this season because we found out about fake Mrs. Pickles in episode one. Ooh, was that episode one? Yes, yes. That is the very first excuse that Sean uses to get Gus out of work. Harthen. Okay. Doreen's last name is Harthen. Her parents' name are Harthen. Gus says Mrs. Harthen and she goes, no, the family's at the cemetery. I'm Poppy the housekeeper. And then we get, she's my lost orange tabby and she's pregnant with God knows how many baby little tabbies. And Gus is crying and she brings him inside and Sean's doing his snoop around. He climbed through the doggy door to get into the building. Thank you for that. The housekeeper, Poppy, gives Gus tea and cupcakes to try to soothe him. Well, he's holding tea. And then I noticed at one particular point when he like is breaking down, she's like hurriedly plating a cupcake and like giving it to him. And I'm just like, valid. <laughs> in the meantime, Sean is in the background eating those cupcakes and like gives Gus the thumbs up like, hey, this is a good cupcake. And Poppy's like... She's got this great Mrs. Doubtfire sort of Scottish brogue accent. She calls Gus DeAndre. So apparently that's the name he gave her. Sean is snooping. And he catches the rings in a picture book of the girls. They each had one. So now we know that Alice has both. Which never gets explained, by the way. That's us. Yeah. Sean gets a telephone call. While he's snooping and kind of freaks out and Poppy's like, oh, what, what was that sound? Gus has to cover for Sean with a lot more crying. <laughs> and then it's Eden on the phone for Sean. She's like, are you coming to the party? I forget how this happens, but. Well, Sean asks if she'll put Mary Lou on the oh. phone. Mary Lou's not here. She's going to that stupid moonlight vigil or something. Sean calls Gus to get him out of there. It works. Gus is like, oh. That was Mrs. Pickles. She's home. Bye. And leaves, meets Sean outside. And the first thing that Sean sees when he's outside is that there is this black looking stuff on the drain pipe coming from the gutters that lead up to the roofing that leads to a windowsill that also has this black stuff on it. And then cut back to Betty saying that they buried the nightgown in the tar pits and Sean's like, boom, 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 that alibi is bogus. She snuck out of the house that night. She snuck back in with the tar-stained nightgown. Poppy told Gus that he looked like Bud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but when he gets off the phone, he just goes, bet. And then he's like, it was Mrs. Pickles. Bye. Sean talks to Gus and says that he realizes that Jules is in danger because why would Alice be going after all of Beta Kappa Theta when she can go for the Queen Bee? The cops are at the party already. The cops are at the party. So. All the other girls are at the party. Everybody's supposed to be at this party, except for Mary Lou, who's been invited to the candlelight vigil. He says, this is Silence of the Lambs, which means we're both Scott Glenn. Sean said that Juliet is at the vigil with Doreen's family. And Gus said, well, the housekeeper just said that Doreen's family was at the cemetery. And it all made sense for Gus. He said, why mess around with the worker bees when you can kill the queen? Does Gus say that? Dang it! (laughs) Sean said, why mess around with the worker bees when you can kill the queen? Realizing that Alice wanted everybody at the party so she could get Juliet by herself and, you know, take care of the queen. They're headed back to Wispy Sunny Pines, this place that Gus has been afraid of since he was nine years old. Gus won't get in the car. Because he has rules. You have to agree to my terms. Okay, he's like, promise me, promise me. I will not investigate any suspicious noises or go looking for a fuse box. And you will not, under any circumstances, leave me by myself without a weapon of some sort. Do you understand and agree to my terms? Sean tries to demur and be like, we don't have time for this. And Gus is not having it. (laughs) He actually said, well, I don't have time to negotiate. All right, let's go help Juliet. And they head out. In the blueberry. Cut to Lassie in the hospital. Goochberg in a bed. Scarecrow. Did we get him, Scarecrow? No. We did not get him. When you were chasing him, you had a mild cardiac arrest. He's like, when were you going to tell me about the pacemaker? And how dare you attempt to scale a fence in heels? But did we get him? Yeah. We got him, Goochberg. (laughs) And then he answers a call from Sean. Again, Sean has Lassie's number, but not Juliet's number. (laughs) Still confused. Back at Wispy Sunny Pines, Juliet's pulling up in her little green bug. And she 
feels she she has the feeling you know she feels like something's wrong and she said to herself out loud call for backup just call for backup just make the call she gets her phone out and sean is calling her and before she can think about it alice walks out she's like hey mary lou we're like waiting for you in here they walk inside and Julia did not call for backup, nor did she answer the phone call. And the building is covered in candles. They're everywhere. To the point where Juliet actually makes a comment of, this must have taken a long time to get everything set up. This is really extensive candle-wise. This must have taken hours. <laughs> Which I think is kind of like a nod to like the props department that had to set all that up. And how hot it must have been in that building. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Alice said, well, everyone's upstairs waiting for you, Mary Lou. I-, I didn't think you would come. They're so excited that you came. She's like, maybe you underestimated me. Or maybe you misjudged me is what it is. And then she's like, everyone's is. waiting in room 413. She's like, okay. Or okie doke. She says lots of like little girl things. They get to room 413 and Juliet walks into the room first and there's nobody in there. There's no family. There's no friends. There's nothing. What there are, what there is, are... Barbies hanging naked from the ceiling, candles everywhere, and then the nightgown covered in tar in the middle of a circle of candles, which is just full-on creepy. Then creepy Alice comes out of the shadows with a headset on making the creepy voice and holding a very, very shiny knife. Like, it looks chrome. It's so shiny. Yeah. Where did she get this big A axe from? And how did Juliet not see it? it? She came in from a closet or an adjacent room or something. Like, yeah. anyway. I have a sidebar story to tell you. It's very also, short. Also, oh, right now? Right now. Because it has to do with her walking in with a giant axe and Juliet not noticing. We're at church. Our preacher at the time loved to use props when he gave his sermons. So the lights were out. The little video was playing before the preacher walks out on the stage. And I see him coming across the stage. And he's carrying a freaking chainsaw. Who is? Our preacher. He's carrying a chainsaw walking across the stage in our church. And I lean over to my friend and I'm like, why does he have a chainsaw? And she leaned back to me and said, I'm so happy that you notice when people walk into the room with weapons because I sure didn't. In context, it made total sense for him to have said chainsaw. I promise. I don't remember the context, but it made sense. I think I'm fundamentally opposed to any lesson they're teaching me whilst holding a chainsaw. He was really into props. It was like bags of Oreos, chainsaws, camping chairs. It was a whole thing. Okay, she's got the axe. She has on her voice changer and said, it's a banquet fit for a queen. And Juliet starts to reach for her gun Yeah, in her and purse. she's too slow because then Alice goes for her with the axe and she just has to focus on dodging. Duck. Dodge. She uses her back to kind of deflect the axe. It flies through the air, ends up hitting and knocking over some candles. Alice starts to tell her story to Juliet. She said, you're the reason girls vomit and starve themselves to death. And you're the reason why they fill themselves with plastic and why Doreen is dead. And now, on behalf of the entire suit of the Broken Hearts, Alice will now lop off the queen's head. And she also says that <laughs> that sounded so much better out loud than it did in my head. And I'm like, girl, you've completely lost it because not only are you blaming someone you don't even know for the problems of literally the patriarchy. <laughs> Society, yes. Like, don't fight another woman. Oh, I cannot with Alice in this scene. Well, I want to go back to the more recent pin we put in where Alice was talking to Sean and Alice said, I'm not a murderer. So we already made a point that Alice was kind of deflecting all of the mm-hmm. questions that Sean had been asking her. But she said, I'm not a murderer. And I truly believe that Alice truly believes that she's not a murderer. That she had done this for a good reason. That she was doing this for a positive reason. She was not a murderer. She was a Robin Hood. In her brain, I feel like she felt that way. This is another episode of a show that gives me the Brooklyn Nine-Nine quote of cool motive, still murder. (laughs) Like, I don't care what your rationale is, still committing murder, you stupid, stupid person. I cannot with Alice. Lassiter, Sean, Gus all arrive at the same time. They're outside 
And then they finally hear some like screaming and some of the, like the feedback voice and they all run in and Lassiter runs up the stairs and then Sean goes to run up the stairs and Gus grabs him. And he's like, what about our deal, Sean? And so Sean lets him <laughs> run up the stairs because he will not enter a room first. He will not enter a room last, etc. As they're running, Gus ends up getting stuck in. I don't even know what this thing is. It's a weird platform in the middle of a corridor. I don't. I call that a fire hazard. But that, yeah, that's that's what it was. And Gus is like, you cannot leave me. Rule number five, which was you will under no circumstances leave me alone without a weapon. And Gus is like, can you wiggle your big toe? Work the laces, work the laces. And then he runs away. And then Gus takes off his belt and starts like whipping it around in the air as a makeshift weapon while he like sobs to himself. He's like, Sean, Sean, no, you can't leave me. And then we're back in the room. (laughs) Nope, not tonight. That's what he's saying while he's taking off his belt. <laughs> so, okay, there's some really weird, like, facial directions here because what were Sean and Lasseter looking at? Are they just, like, listening to what's down the hall before they go down the hall and their faces are reacting to it? Because I'm like, it looks like they're looking at something, but they're not looking at anything because they're not into the room yet. I think that that hearing things, they could still hear fighting, they could hear ghost sounds. And in good protocol, they send Lassiter first. Lassiter's got the gun. Mm. And and send him running down the hallway, Sean quickly following behind. Juliet and Alice both have their hands on the axe and they're struggling for it. And ultimately, Juliet wins. She gets the axe and Alice is ready to push her out the window. And Juliet just slugs her across I the face. I just wrote, Juliet beat down and then arrest with axe. And... <laughs> <laughs> Juliet's in some serious rage. She's calling her a lot of names. She's screaming at her. She will not let go of that axe. I forget what she screams first, but then she goes, you are under arrest, you crazy, crazy, crazy bitch. (laughs) Three crazies. (laughs) Sean just walks over and grabs the axe from her and is like, it's okay. We got this. She's good. She's not going to hurt you now. I wrote that like Alice, while still on the ground, is looking at Juliet like she's feral like i mean okay so just let's just stop for a minute and realize that these women were just in a fight to the death like that's how hyped juliet was and like i kind of hated how long it took sean to get the axe away from her i'm like it didn't look like she was resisting giving it up but he was like being like so touchy about it like it's it's okay it's okay and like it took him so long i was like calm down dude she's fine but you know whatever they were making a point well, they walk out, Alice in handcuffs, and Chief Vic is there. Like, what the hell? Love Chief Vic. <laughs> Alice starts to tell Chief Vic that Mary Lou had been trying to kill her. She says, she's possessed, you've got to believe me. And then Chief looks at Juliet, who Alice had only ever known as Mary Lou, and said, Juliet, tell me what's going on. Everything kind of clicks in Alice's head while Juliet's telling Chief Vic the story. In the meantime, Sean has the axe and is holding it in front of Alice's face, which just in general seems like a bad idea. But then he starts like rubbing his finger over the blade and Alice's eyes are just staring at that. And I can't figure out why. I want to know what's going on in her brain where she believes that murdering multiple people to avenge her friend is okay. And what's going on in her brain that she wants to stare at someone cutting themselves with an axe. I'm comfortable leaving it at she had an emotional psychotic break. That's a good answer. Okay. (laughs) She cannot anymore. Sean cuts his finger and she kind of, I don't know, it breaks a spell or something. And she's Mm -hmm. like, what would you have done, Sean? If it was Gus, if it was your best friend, what would you have done? And it's like, she's trying to like bring that emotional gravitas back from their conversation earlier. And he goes, oh no, Gus, <laughs> runs off. He's still inside, swatting around with his belt and crying. And then we hear the ghosty voice. Bud. So I'm going to ask another question oh, here. God. They were on floor four. Yeah. Gus got trapped on floor three. Oh. How did they get... Alice out of the building in handcuffs without walking past Gus. Maybe there's more than one stairwell. Like, this is a mental health facility. It does make sense to me that they would take her out in cuffs 
through a path that was not covered in flaming candles. Okay, I'm gonna go with that. So yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, I like that. Gus is like, it's not, sh- it's not funny, Sean. It's not funny, and he's still with the belt. Our closing scene, Lassiter is with Chief Vic, and the first thing he said was, "Did I insult you?" Which, yes, Lassiter, you did insult Chief Vic. I want to take us back to like episode two or three. When you were telling Chief Vic that it was so great that she got the job because she happened to be a woman. No. She is a very good chief. Also, like, the whole vibe was just, you mad? Are you mad at me? Why are you mad at me? And then he's basically like, why would you put me with Goochberg? Why would you pair me up with this person? What did I do that was so wrong? Why me? Chief Vic thought that Goochberg and Lassiter would get along. That she kind of reminded Chief Vic of Lassiter, and everyone thought that they would be friends. You know, maybe a few years down the line, similar interests, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, is that how I'm perceived? She just says, honestly, we're all a little shocked it didn't work out. And he's shell-shocked, and he just walks out, and he tries to say hey to somebody and quickly gives up and gets kind of sour about it. And then he sees Gus and Sean and Juliet laughing into their Chinese food, just having a hang at one of the desks. And this moment, Juliet's laughing so hard, fallen over forwards, and her hand is on part of Sean's leg, and he's, like, pointing at it. And then in the next scene, she's just like over the desk laughing and they're having a great time. And he feels so left out. He just kind of turns around and walks away. There was a moment where he was like, well, maybe I can go be part of that. But no, I don't think I'm part of that. He turns around, he leaves and we hear, I think it's Sean. I think Sean says it. Scream, hey, Lassie. And he turns around and... They throw Lassiter. And I feel like it was Gus that threw the fortune cookie, but Sean that got him attention. They all give him like these head nods. Yeah, job well done all around, all buddies. And he turns and cracks open the cookie and starts to eat it with like a a little satisfied smile. Aw, I'm accepted. It's a really good moment and it's a really great way to end that season. That again, full bookend of Lassiter hating Sean to... Well, maybe I actually want to be friends with him. I want to be part of this world. Yeah, just like Ariel. (laughs) Yeah, I went there. But that was the end of season one, and it was just beautiful. Wow. We got ourselves some Chief Vic. We got ourselves some Henry. We got ourselves some Drunk Henry. (laughs) We got some shout-outs to episode one, a.k.a. Mrs. Pickles. We got a ton of pop culture references. A pineapple. Very important because we've been missing those. A fist bump. A potential, I've heard it both ways. ways. Eh, Okay. It was an overall solid, solid episode. A solid season to start off a show with. Yes. We're getting, it's got its rhythm, it's got its tone. We're just going to get more of the sweetness coming up. I love it. I do have a, a couple of pop culture references that I missed earlier. Sean does make a reference to Haunted Mansion earlier in the episode. And I think there's another one, but of course I don't know what it is. I'm just kind of pleased with myself because I've been getting stuck in this like Midwest, like Northern Midwest accent lately. It feels very Wisconsin. (laughs) And I'm glad I didn't accidentally do it in this episode. I thought about that earlier today. I was like, I hope I don't accidentally keep doing that. But thanks to Goochberg, I I didn't. (laughs) I think the other reference that I was going to make was Alice in Wonderland, which was what Alice had kind of been referencing the whole time. Talking also, her about last name Juliet is Bundy. Like, creepy <laughs> last name. Take your adopted family's <laughs> last name, police. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and anybody whose last name is Bundy. Just, like, consider changing I it. mean, unless you're really into Married with Children and, like, the Bundys in that <laughs> show, which also... What? <laughs> which is not what most people think Especially about. Especially not people into so... true crime. <laughs> But that's it. Woo! So basic things. We did talk about this a little bit earlier, but I do want to remind everybody we are going to take a little break between season one and season two. We're prepping some really cool stuff. No worries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anybody, guys, gals, people, tortoises, whatever's listening to us, we are happy to share some of these things with you later. So hopefully you will join us again for season two. 
if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, if you have found any pineapples, if you have anything that you'd like us to highlight or talk about, please reach out to us at to the blueberry podcast at gmail.com. Kaylee, what is that email? To the blueberry podcast at gmail.com. I have been Kaylee and Lassie, our timing is really starting to crackle. And I'm Alexis. Excuse me, I'm going to have to ask you to go screw yourself. And, and this, this has been, been To the Blueberry! Psych out. <laughs>